some reason. And I, you eat the whole thing. You eat the head and the whole, the whole, the whole thing. It has a disconcerting crunch and a gush. And then the yolk becomes green and a little bit oozy. And the sun is setting. Hello, and welcome to the Travel Vietnam Podcast, guys. Today I am here with Sunnyside. It's great to be here. Thank Traveler. You. Traveler. YouTuber. Mm-hmm. Sometimes rapper. Yeah. And uh, we are here to talk about weird food. That's right. So that's your thing, Sonny, right? Yeah, well, I mean, my thing is trying to make videos that are entertaining, that have to do with travel and food. And usually the most frequent way that comes about is by eating and talking about uh, the unique kind of food of each country. So that's why weird food? Like, what do you find that you get out of sort of traveling through the prism of weird food? Mm. So, like, why do I do what I do? Yeah. Well, before I started my YouTube channel, I was looking at a lot of other YouTube travel channels, and there aren't many to begin with. And I was really disappointed with what's out there because, first of all, there aren't many people who are going country to country making consistent content uh, from different places. So there's tons of people who are like, I'm the Korea person, I'm the Philippines person, but somebody going to all these different places, and then the people who are doing that are doing this really vanilla, boring, kind of squeaky, clean content, which is ends up looking like a cheap version of the Travel Channel, Yeah, which I don't understand. It's like, you can do anything you want to. Why are you doing that? Why are you kind of telling us a brief history, showing us some okay angles of where you're at, not really giving any us anything beyond that? Uh, and I, th- I think the reason they do it is because they want to get funding through the different tours and boards, and then there's standards, and they're like, okay, we'll pay you this much money to go uh, to these cities and make videos about these things. And so I think it comes back down to like how they can monetize your channel. But you know, pure artists like me don't think about how uh, we can make money, we just try to think about how we can make something good and then hopefully something good will come out of it at the end. And so I wanted to make a channel around weird food. First, I just wanted to do videos that were entertaining. And the food doesn't necessarily have to be weird, but I wanted it to be from more of a comedic angle, and I think the subject matter that provoked the most kind of interesting ideas from me and most interesting reactions happened to be the weird food. How long have you been doing the channel for now? Um, It's only been about six months. Yeah. And how much did you travel? I mean, you've been in Korea for quite some time. How much did you travel sort of around the region before before you had the channel? Yeah, so I'm from Minnesota originally. And when I was about 24, I moved to Korea. I was a teacher in Korea and then became a video director. And I've been doing full-time video directing and um, videography for the last four or five years. I've spent eight years in Korea and I've traveled to a decent amount of countries around the area. So I would travel about a couple times a year. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been to, oh, is this interesting? I mean, I've been to like Russia, Philippines, Japan a thousand times for visa runs. (laughs) I mean, for travel. And just a bunch of other countries in Southeast Asia. So how has this changed? You know, now that you're traveling specifically, I would imagine, primarily for, for the YouTube channel, through and often traveling and eating far more than you would. Definitely a wider variety of foods. <laughs> yeah, wider variety. So how has it changed the sort of travel experience in general? This is going to be a weird answer because I don't think many people will relate to this. I mean, I've done many different styles of travel. I've done a weedcation before. <laughs> when I went to Phnom Penh and then just smoked for a week and then 
didn't remember it and I got fat and I felt terrible. And I was like, wow, that's not my style. I'm not gonna do that again. And I've done the chill on the beach thing, which can be great for like two to three days. And then, I don't know, you just get bored of drinks and food eventually. And so oddly enough, the kind of travel I like that I find really fulfilling is having some kind of project at hand. And so for some people that can be working on their blog or doing photography, and for me, it's just making videos, usually about the food in those countries. So for me, building like the best kind of experiences and memories still always goes back to putting in some work. Mm. And that's kind of how I look at it. So I still, of course, I enjoy it. But to get a good experience for me is, requires some work too. Do you find that it takes you to very different places? I mean, I've now done a couple of episodes with you, so I know that you're not always in a restaurant. But do you find that kind of thing interesting? Yeah, well, and so that's another reason of having kind of this purpose-driven travel is even years ago, this was something I never published, but if maybe five, six years ago, I went to the Philippines. I just had a little handy cam, and I just was having little missions. Like I thought cockfighting was super interesting. I'd never seen it before. I found um, somebody who I just asked, could I go check out a farm where they raise them? So I got to see how they raise them, ask questions about it, shoot some of that. And so it was something I wouldn't, have seen unless I had like kind of a reason to dig mm. a little deeper through the camera, right? As far as when I go to a new country or travel in general, I'm, I'm certainly not someone who wants to read placards in a museum or visit temples really, unless I'm shooting it. But I want to just have as many kind of unique, interesting experiences as possible that you couldn't purchase off a tour. And that's the most fascinating Kind of riveting thing about travel is when you have those really cool experiences. So just a quick couple examples. We did one episode on rat here That's to do right. it. So so we're in Ho Chi Minh City, but instead of uh, of course we we can't have the rat here because we need the field rats, right? Because they eat the the clean water and the rice. They eat paleo. They do CrossFit. Like those are like the healthy rats. And so we went all we went like two hours into the Mekong Delta. Uh, we went with a, a local person who brought us to a market where they're like they haven't seen a foreigner for 16 months. We found the actual rats. They they cut them up in front of us, like cleaned them in front of us. We went to his parents' house, um, way out in the middle of the delta. Had to cross a little wooden footbridge to get there. His mom has to actually start a fire in order to cook the rats in this big walk. And then so suddenly I'm just sitting there like with him and his dad and uh, his family and we're eating rat and the sun is setting. It's absolutely beautiful. They're on this uh, expansive rice paddy. For me, that was like a really incredible moment. And it's not something I would have had if I hadn't really like pursued it. And so some others that I have had so far in Vietnam is I heard of electro fishing, <laughs> which sounds a lot more crazier than it is which is uh, true about most of the things I've delved into so far, but they basically put on a 25 pound battery onto their back and then they have two rods and then uh, when they push a button, it connects the circuit and then they put a kind of a blast of electricity into the water and the small fish end up floating up. So I went with a, a different guy, went out to, to see his family, his uncle. They, they walked us down to a river where they do this. After making a deal with the police, that we like they're just showing the foreigner what's going on because it's actually illegal here but we're just going to do it for a little bit is that okay i thought that electrofishing would be 
like cheating, and it would be the super easy thing, like throwing dynamite in a lake or something. But it's really hard. So his uncle goes around and he scoops up a decent amount of fish, maybe 20 small fish, and I'm like, all right, yeah, my turn, I got this. Uh, in like an hour, I got one. So it wasn't that strong of a current. And it also, it doesn't kill the fish, it just stuns them. Like when someone gets tased and they get all stiff and they fall over and they're out of it for like five seconds. Um, it's like that, except with fish, and it takes a few minutes for them to come back to life. Yeah, we're there, we're in the river, we're um, attempting to do this. Um, suddenly, like a herd of 10 buffalo stampede into the water to uh, cool down. They almost run over our drones and equipment, but uh, everything was saved. I've, I've been with you on both of these trips, and for me that was one of the biggest things, was kind of amazing how traveling through the prism of weird food versus just being a food traveler, which I'd put myself in the category of, gives you these super unique and very deep cultural experiences. Like you're never going to find yourself at Dinfin in the Mekong or electrofishing right. in the countryside inland from Hoi An without just chasing these kind of way off the beaten track type things. Do you find that that's the case in the other countries as well or has that just been in Vietnam where you've been able to get way, away, way off the track? It's, it's been different for every country. In the Philippines, it was similar to what it's like here in Vietnam. Maybe it depends on if it's like a little bit more developed of a country. Mm. I'm not sure, because Korea and Taiwan, so I've only shot in four countries so far. So where have so you shot? I've shot in Korea, yeah. Taiwan, Philippines, and now here in Vietnam. And in, in Taiwan, everything was shot in Taipei, and there was plenty to shoot in Taipei, so we didn't venture out into the country or anything. So mm -hmm. all the restaurants were in the city. And the, and the same thing in Korea. Yeah, some, some countries yes, some no. I'm sure if I spent enough time in each country, though, there could be more and more of those like far out things that I, I could find. I know there's like a, some kind of mouse wine or snake wine. It's it's not just snake wine, but some kind of maybe it's mouse wine in Korea um, that I would love to find how they make it and uh, and try it out. What what episodes or what kind of weird stuff have you eaten in Korea? The ones that I've shot so far, they have something called bandegi, which is silkworm pupa, which is I think that's pretty com common in Southeast Asia. I know it's it's uh popular in China, it came from China. That is one of the, so I've liked almost everything I've tried so far actually. That is one that I just did not really like at all. It has kind of a mattressy, smoky flavor to it. It has a disconcerting crunch and a gush. <laughs> but what else? I had chicken feet, and like every country in Asia has their own chicken feet thing. But the ones in Korea were deboned, so it's kind of like a big chicken glove, and it's super spicy. So it's different in the Philippines where they cook it adobo style. And also in Korea, I had some weird seafood at the Noryangjin Fish Market, which is the same one that Conan O'Brien went to. They have kebul, which is uh, penis fish, and it, it looks like it's a namesake. Uh, and that, that's a weird one. Uh, what else? They have sea pineapple, and then one that Korea is really popular for is sanakji, which is basically like a small octopus. They can either cut it up, and serve it to you with some sesame oil while it's still kind of writhing and wiggling, um, or some people actually eat it whole. So I tried that for the first time. I tried it a few times, and if you like sushi, like it actually tastes good. But the challenge of trying to put the whole creature, wrap it around some chopsticks and eat it, and then not die from it gripping, you know, gripping onto your throat as you swallow it. When I think of weird food, or weird food shows, I obviously think of Andrew Zimmer, from Bizarre Foods. Yeah. How does your stuff differ from his? So before I came here, again, just being from Minnesota where there's 
no coast. There's not much diversity where I was. And I would watch shows like No Reservations and Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmern quite often. And for me, it was like, God, these places are so different. I was so fascinated by it. But what I've found is different from what Andrew Zimmern does and what I do is I think oftentimes, and this is what I want to avoid, people see these shows with weird food or food, you know, that's just not familiar to us. So I guess making it weird. They just think, oh, the whole country does that. Like that whole country, that country must be weird. Those people do that. When in fact, most of these things I try, like a, a small part of the population does that. Or most notably here in Vietnam, I was like, okay, Southeast Asia is going to be like the king of weird food down here. I want to find bugs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat um, cricket. So when I asked around, I couldn't find any place in the city. So I know there are places that do exist, but it's not like you walk down the street and people are like, hey, get your crickets. We actually had to do some internet research and find a place that serves that kind of food. So and even the people were, the local people going there, were going there for, you know, for a laugh because they wanted to try something weird themselves. So I try to really show the context of the food in that culture and not just focus on the food, but ask local people if they like it, when they usually eat it, um, why they eat it, and those types of things, as often as I can, as often as uh, time will permit, because we, we try to shoot and crank these out, because, uh, you know, money. And, <laughs> well, and how often do you eat something like that and think like, well, now I get it a bit more, like maybe it tastes good, or mm. puts it a bit more in context, like you're saying with the bug thing, like it's a little bit more of a dare or something along those lines. Yeah, well, another good example was in Taiwan, they have the century egg. And when I was doing research, so the century egg is like this, um, almost like a cured egg that they put in um, lye and lime and all these other acidic things that end up, or is it basic things? I don't know. Anyways, it ends up curing the egg over a couple months, and it, it turns amber colored, and then the yolk becomes green and a little bit oozy. The proper way to eat it is mixing it with kanji or with some tofu. And it just has a really powerful eggy taste. But if you kind of cut it, you know, like it, like moonshine, you got to cut it with water. Century egg, you got to cut it with some kanji or some tofu. But there's a couple other shows out there that are focused on just like eating. It's people like based in the States. They have a conference room or like they're in their garage. And they're focused on just eating something weird for the shock appeal of it. Which, of course, there's an element of that in my show, but the point is that nobody just eats that alone. And so all these different channels, they were showing people just trying to eat the egg alone and, like, puking it up. But that's not how people eat it. And the example I gave in the video is, like, it would be like a, somebody in Asia eating a bouillon cube for soup. And it would be like, oh, Westerners, like, how do they do this? So gross. What's wrong with these people? It was, like, the same exact kind of thing. And it was... Good. I was, I was happy to be able to put that video out because a lot of people in Taiwan were like, hey, man, thank you for properly representing the food. So give us a quick overview again of the rest of the kind of the Taiwanese Filipino things. What are a few more episodes that you've done in, in both the Philippines and Taiwan? Taiwan, I also did the most interesting one, which I can't wait to put out. There's been almost no content put out about it except for on Vice. A writer for Vice... Um, who I actually ended up doing the episode with, he did this article on sausage gambling. And so this is a vestige from, I think it was what, world, maybe the World War, but where there would be American soldiers there, 
Um, and it was a unique, interesting way to sell to those people. So you can just buy a sausage for 40, I don't know, which probably comes up to around a buck or something, 40, 40 Taiwanese dollars. Or you can put down 100 and then roll the dice. And if you win, you get five. If you lose, you don't get anything. Oh, it was, it was such a great moment because, first of all, we spent all night trying to find a place and a place that would let us shoot because it's technically illegal, because it's technically gambling, even though it's just for sausage. I, I don't know how many like gambling addicts there are. So, so, finally, yeah, so finally that day we found a uh, sausage gambling cart. It's on the back of this guy's motorcycle. And I, I, I put down the 100, I shake, and I lose. And I do it again, and I lose. And I do it again, and I lose. And I'm down like a, a fair amount of money. And he even goes, hey, you can, you can have three. I'll just, just give you these three <laughs> sympathy dogs. And I'm like, I don't want sympathy dogs, man. I'm doing this. Finally, I win one. And they give me five coins. They're like, okay. And I, like his buddy steps in, and he's like trying to talk sense into me. I'm like, come on, man. You can't keep doing this. And he, he puts the five coins down. He's like, okay, these coins represent your sausages. And so you can bet one. You could bet Two, I'll go, yeah, I'm betting five. Let's do this. I shake again. I get a seven, which is terrible. And then the dealer's like, Psh, I got this guy. And he gets a six. And people were, there was, a, there was a parade the next day over it. There was a confetti. People were celebrating. Um, young kids were inspired. No, but what we did do is eat 10 sausages. <laughs> and, uh, and that was enough for me. You know, and what about this, these kinds of things? Like, uh, how's Vietnam, Vietnamese foods compared to a lot of these countries? I know you sort of mentioned earlier, mm. thought it'd be like the king of weird food, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think Southeast Asia has a lot of really weird food from you know a Western perspective. Mm. So of course, whenever I say weird, I just mean weird to a Western palate who's just not used to it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it to kind of condemn it. That's why I usually try to say unique. So Vietnam, so far, what I've tried here. Has been it's been a lot different than what I might get in other countries. So first of all, Korea actually doesn't have that weird of food, in my opinion. Some of the stuff I've been able to find here, though, is the crickets, um, including this giant cricket where they shoved a peanut up its butt, which became kind of the highlight of that cricket. It was nice. Uh, scorpion, which is so hard and crunchy, I thought it was going to break my fillings. Coconut worm, which was surprisingly tolerable. Um, if you have never seen this, just Google coconut worm. They are, they look like giant maggots, essentially. We, we did the rat, which tasted really good. Let's see, cobra. This one is going to be probably a controversial video. I already got one strike on my YouTube channel for doing a video documenting cockfighting in the Philippines because, uh, I don't know, there's a chicken lover out there was very offended, outraged perhaps. And so that strike has finally gone away. And I think my next one will probably be for this Cobra. I, I had to really think about how much I want to show, but I'd like to show the whole thing because it's something that people do here. And what they do is they, you select the Cobra, they cut open its snake chest. Well, I don't, most of snake is a, is a chest, right? I don't know. Okay, so the upper part of the body, like right below its neck. Yeah. All right. And so they pull out the heart, they cut it out, and it's still beating and they put it into a shot glass with some vodka, and then you, take, you just take the whole thing down. It's insane. And then they go on to prepare the whole thing, and they, they literally prepare every piece of it. 
Um, it is the longest liver I've ever seen in an animal. It must have been like obviously thin and long, like uh, eight inches long. Mm. Maybe. Uh, but the, I mean, the snake was pretty good, right? I had some, right? You know, everything tasted great. Yeah. Um, I just think it's a little controversial. I do want to add this. I, I, I think there's always sensitivity around animals and how they're treated around food. I think that that's probably the only time I would do the snake one because I don't come, I wish I could have delved into it more. Like why do you cut it out this way instead of like cutting its head off first or killing it in a more humane way? So I don't particularly think there's anything that should be off limits. I don't have an issue with people eating dog or cat really if it's raised in a humane way and butchered in a humane way. And the cobra was a gray area. The only reason I went through with it is because it is something that people partake in here. So I just wanted to see what that was about. But in addition, I've tried duck blood soup, durian. Yeah, that one was vegan friendly. Durian is just a, a fruit, a smelly fruit. I liked it. Durian ice cream is amazing. That's most of uh, the kind of odd stuff I've tried here so far. Yeah. Yeah, just dig into that a little bit for me. How, like, what, what did you think the rat meat tastes like? It was kind of uh, a, a, a mix between white meat and dark meat. Mm -hmm. I don't know, it was like just fatty enough. My only issue is I just wish that they would have been bigger rats <laughs> because it was so, uh, there's not that much meat on them, you know? Yeah, it was kind of so, like eating quail or something to me. Yeah. I mean, it was really good. I'd definitely eat it again. Yeah. And Almost like a buttery flavor to it. And it didn't seem to be something that they ate occasionally. I mean, that whole market we went to was filled with, with rats. I mean, there was a lot of rat vendors. Yeah, three, yeah, there were three different people with cages full of rats. Um, and, and again, the rats they catch from the rice fields, because even the local people here know that they're not going to eat city rats. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a different species even. I mean, it looks yeah. like a mouse or something like that. Yeah. And uh, let's dig into the, to the duck egg. They do, they do the duck egg here. I don't know if you've done it here, but you have tried it in the Philippines. What's right. that like? Yeah, uh, in the Philippines, it's called balut. So I thought that was good. Uh, but the one I had, so the big thing with balut or, or uh, whatever, like egg, uh, uh, duck egg embryo, fetus, fetus? Fetus. Fetus. Is that it depends on the number of days, like how old it is. So if yours is like 13, 14, that's yeah. kind of like you're mild. You're just kind of dipping your toe <laughs> yep. into the weird food world. Yep. But a lot of people are commenting like, oh, no, you got to get the one that's like 18 days. And so I haven't tried that level of maturity. So the one I tried, it was good in the Philippines. It, the, everything tastes good. It's very savory. It's eggy. It tastes like a duck soup. In the Philippines, they serve the... the the duck fetus with any with any sauce or it's just straight? Yeah, when I tried it, they recommended I put vinegar on it, but they put vinegar, either spicy or sweet vinegar on almost everything in the yeah, Philippines. Yeah, it's a Filipino thing, right? Yeah. yeah. But nothing else? No. What sauce do they put on it here? I mean, so yeah, here they can just take it straight or uh, they do it with like a tamarind sauce. It's surprisingly good, hmm. uh, even without the even without the tamarind sauce. Oh, I'm about to do a throwdown video where we <laughs> like compare the two countries. And I mean, and again, like I think you know, a lot of people here will only eat the sort of the eggy half of the body. Uh, you know, they'll they'll sort of separate the the, the, head? More, the more dark looking, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the beaks and, and that sort of stuff. One of the weirdest things I ate in the Philippines, and and uh, I think something that most Westerners would be like, f that, and even. Plenty of Filipino people were either like, I didn't even know that existed here, or they were like, I would never try that. It's one day old chick, and 
the chick is essentially a day old, they feather it, they fry the whole body. And so it's almost a step up from balut. I mean, it's already been born. <laughs> hatched, let's say hatched. <laughs> For some reason, and you eat the whole thing. You eat the head and the whole, the whole, the whole thing. I kind of thought people would be more easy with that than the, the fetus. I think it's the word that gets you more than anything else. I mean, we eat eggs. We yeah. Eat, we eat ducks. Right. But it's the it's the halfway. It's the morpheus state. Yeah. Of the creature. Yeah, totally. Kind of gets you. And that it's like sloppy, and when like wet. The one I think I want to really dig into is the the coconut worm. Maybe. Yeah. I think I would have eaten. I did try a lot of the things you ate here. Yeah. But the 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 moving worm thing, that's where I drew the line. Yeah. I think. It's almost like it's pulsing. It's about two centimeters long. They have like a, their head is small, black, and crunchy. <laughs> I mean, hard. And uh, and the body is like a like an accordion, essentially, that, you know, flexes when it walks, like a caterpillar, I guess. You know, when it, when it crawls. And... So when you pick it up, it's it's kind of flexing in this weird way, and it almost can like wiggle out of your fingers. First of all, I thought there was some going to be some kind of thorough prep or something. Yeah, I don't know. They they uh, got a squeegee and like sponged it down a little bit. She just washed it off underwater and threw it in a bowl of fish sauce. Yep. And then that was it. That was all prep. It was ready to eat. And so they're like, "You got to hurry up because they'll die." I'm like, "Oh yeah, we don't we don't want that. We definitely want them to die from me chewing them to death." Not from this fish sauce, yeah. That would be insane. And so the taste, ah, uh, that one, it didn't bother me as much as I thought it, it might. And that's what I found with almost everything I've tried. Mm. I think, like, if I really hated doing this, if I, if, I, if I was just doing it for the shock appeal, but I was like, oh, my God, these are all so nasty, I just, I wouldn't do it. But I am pleasantly surprised almost every time to find that either it's not that bad or that most of these things are pretty good. And there's a reason that millions of people are eating whatever it is for hundreds of years. It's because it's uh, pretty good. Yeah. And there's some tradition behind it. But if you don't develop that, uh, the taste for, for something, when you're young especially, then of course you can't just come from the West with your Western mindset and palate and then munch on something like that and like it automatically. I think the best example is there's this thing in Korea called milchi which I think is just like tiny anchovies and maybe some sesame oil. It's really strong, fishy tasting. I don't like it at all. But the kids eat it up. I mean, the kids are like four or five years old. They just eat it like it's anything else on their tray, which is funny because there are plenty of American parents who are like, oh, my kid will only eat chicken tenders. And there's no difference between those kids. It's just what they were raised with, what they were given, and then the, the kind of taste they developed because of that. And so, yeah, everything I've tried so far has been pretty good. And the coconut worm was definitely tolerable. And uh, people, but that's, it's, that's one where people eat it like when they're drinking and it is kind of like a challenge among drinking bros. And in that situation, I would, I would definitely try it again. So what, of everything you've done so far, what do, you, what do you think to you has been the strangest? What was the one you were kind of like, oh, that's, that's super strange. This is gonna be a little, bit, a little bit tougher. Probably the coconut worm I was most nervous for and then it was fine afterwards just because it looks the most daunting mm. yeah and this is everywhere not just vietnam right yeah out of everywhere okay cool out of everywhere. So, okay what was the best what did you eat and you were like oh god damn that that's really good uh oh isao in the philippines is really good and so that's chicken intestine and they uh, weave it onto a skewer um they cook it adobo style 
they grill it, and then you can put some vinegar on there, they'll put some barbecue. Actually, they usually don't put barbecue, they put ketchup on everything as they grill it, which is really underrated. Like a little bit of a grill mixed with some ketchup uh, can go a long way. So that one was really good. And the century egg I wanna try again. I think I wasn't quite mixing the tofu and the century egg properly when I ate it last time, so that's when I'll, I'll definitely try again. That, they do I thought it was pretty good. They do a version of that here, so maybe you'll get a chance nice. whilst you're in Vietnam. Was it the strongest reaction from maybe on YouTube or from family and friends? I think it was hard for people to watch me eat three whole baby octopods, <laughs> octopuses, how do you say it? Uh, yeah, that's a weird one because, so I had three of them there, their whole body there, and they were crawling off of my plate, like squirming off my plate, and I had to pick them up and plop them back on into their sauce. Uh, so that seemed to evoke the most kind of weird reactions, and there's definitely a line too. I thought, oh, more weird is gonna always be better, but there's a certain point where people are like, yeah, I can't watch this. So there, <laughs> I think there needs to be a good balance. What would be the most glad that you tried? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm really glad we chose to do that. That was different than I thought it was going to be. I think a big turning point for me in this show in general and how I perceived the show took place in Taiwan when I ate stinky tofu. And stinky tofu has this really pungent, uh, almost revolting, like trash, like the liquid that collects at the bottom of a dumpster in a hot summer day aroma. It's super intense. And there's a place in Taipei called Dai's House of Stink where they make the stinkiest tofu in Taiwan. And we went there to location scout the place initially and they just showed us their various like aged tofu. I smelled each one. That was another one I was nervous for. I couldn't really sleep well that night just thinking about, my biggest fear is like, oh my God, what if I retched? Like what if I gagged uncontrollably? I would feel so bad because it was that intense, the smell of it was that intense. And so I did I did the little voodoo, or a little Jedi mind trick on myself. Well, we went in there, we had to wait about 30 minutes to get the tofu, right? And the whole restaurant, even my camera assistant, who's, he's, uh, he's, he's used to kind of stranger food, even he was really taken aback, like holy crap, I wasn't expecting this like intense smell. And so what I did is I just would breathe it in and I would say, ah, this is something that I like. I like this. And then tell myself that over and over, mmm, that's good. And so I was like looking for anything good about it that I could find. And then when I got the actual food, like I looked at it, I smelled it with uh, just all positive, with, with reverence. And then finally when I ate it, I really committed to it. You know, I didn't take a nibble. I, I took a full bite of this stinky tofu burger with literally rotten tofu, and I tried to enjoy it. And what happened is something clicked, and I was like, I get it. Because even though it's super intense and sulfury and, dare I say, a bit farty, uh, I kind of get the taste in there that if you grew up with it, that you would actually like. Going through that experience helped me and kind of changing my perspective in that way to try to be as kind of understanding about it as possible um, gave me more, a lot more perspective on why the people actually eat it. Is there anything that you haven't been able to have that sort of connection with? There was, <laughs> I mean, the, like the sea penis in Korea is so weird. It looks like, I don't know, a 
phallic, eight-inch long, um, let's see, penis. And they cut one, off, one end off of it, and then they squeeze out all the juice, so now it just looks like a skin, and then they cut that into pieces, and because it just, like, kind of shrinks, it was exp expanded before, but now it's, like, it's been in a cold pool or something. And so it's just these weird, super rubbery little pieces of meat in Korea where I'm like, why, why, why are you guys still doing this? Uh, it just didn't, it didn't make sense to me. So that one, it wasn't very good. Uh, weird texture. And I think a lot of these foods where they're like, well, this food's meant to be paired with uh, <laughs> this immobilizing alcohol. So <laughs> what you need to do is drink three bottles of soju the Korean rice liquor, and then, you know, that's what the food's meant to be paired with. I think any food where that's the, the main point of the food is that you have to be trashed to eat it, just be beware. What do you want to try? What have, what's kind of on the books? Uh, oh, the main thing that <laughs> comes to mind right away is I want to find the right way to approach a dog that isn't going to be super divisive or polarizing. I want to see if I can find everyone... It bothers me that so many people who like my episodes have were like, dude, don't do it. Don't do dog. And I, even Andrew Zimmern from Bizarre Foods, I'm pretty sure he hasn't done it because there's more downside for him than upside of doing that, right? He's going to get insane numbers of people complaining. Mm. I think there's a way to do it and a way to look at it without well, with like kind of being respectful but uh, to, both, to both parties, to the people who are against it, but the people where it's just common practice. That's going to be a tricky one. Absolutely. There's no way it's not going to be divisive. Yeah, I think Absolutely. I can still find a proper way to do it. And what's your next? Any plans? Any other countries that you sort of uh, eyeing off? Well, I'm planning to move to Vietnam in, uh, in a few weeks here. And this is going to be a great hub to hit up Laos, Cambodia, Myanmar, Thailand. Um, I want to go back to the Philippines again because uh, the Filipino people have been awesome about supporting the videos I've made so far. So I would like to... There's probably another 10 I could make there. Hmm. Um, like Pig Brain and a bunch a bunch of people would send me, they, they were sending me great suggestions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the goal right now is try to keep expanding, do more episodes, get more consistent uh, with putting, <laughs> putting them out at, on a certain day every week and then hopefully make the show become self-sustaining. Cool, man. So where can people find your stuff? If you just look up best ever food review show um, on YouTube or on Google, it'll come up. Best ever food review show. There you have it, guys. Some of the more adventurous food you can try here in Southeast Asia and Vietnam. This podcast was brought to you by Christina's Social Accommodation. If you're ever in Vietnam, please be sure to check us out. We would love to host you guys. Thanks for listening.